Hey, everybody. Welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff. Text me 949-415-6256. Please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. It's been selling really well, getting very well received by the community. Thank you guys so much for that. Also check out the YouTube member page. Join this channel to get perks. That's my YouTube uh, membership. It's 10 bucks a month. You get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out. Really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, Guru Nation. Welcome back. Thank you guys so much for checking out this podcast and watching these videos. It really means a lot to me. You guys and gals, actually mostly gals and guys, have been requesting this for a long time. Medical monitor interview. Dan, can you interview a medical monitor? Dan, and yes, I have one. Thanks to Latinos and Clinical Research, we... I got introduced to Dr. Velasquez, Sarah Garcia Velasquez from Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies Public Benefit Corporation, otherwise known as MAPS. We'll refer to them as MAPS for the rest of this interview. Um, Not only is she a medical graduate, but she's an example of a medical monitor that's an international medical graduate. So... I don't want to hear any more excuses, guys and gals, about, well, you know, I'm only an IMG. Sarah, do you know how many times I hear that? I'm only an IMG. Yeah, you're a doctor, guys. Let's not, like, as a site owner, we look to hire. You guys are amazing. If we're lucky enough to come across an IMG, of course, it's a no-brainer. They're hired as a study coordinator. But that's just the beginning. From there, you can go so many places. And Dr. Velasquez is perfect example of this. And I heard her, like I said, on Latinos and Clinker Research webinar we had last month. And I was like, there's no way I cannot have this person on. So Dr. Velasquez, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So how, let's talk about your life, like where you grew up, what your passions were early on, and then how you became a doctor, and then we'll work our way into research. Sure. So I am from Morelia, Michoacan, Mexico. Morelia is the city, the capital of the state of Michoacan. 
that's where I was born and raised for part of my life. Uh, I'm definitely a, a, a bi-national person. I grew up half my life in Mexico and half my life here in the Bay Area. So child of both places. Um, because of that, I experience uh, a lot of uh, cultures and, and perspectives, not only because of living in two places, but I am also a mestiza, which means that uh, I'm half indigenous from the Purépecha people and half Spanish. And that is the case for a lot of Mexicans. Uh, I grew up in a household of doctors. So medicine was always has always been a part of my life. Uh, luckily, my mother was also very interested in the time in psychedelic medicine and Stan Groff and um, all the, um, the psychedelic uh, doctors from the early times. Wow. So, uh, so I learned uh, about that early on in my life. Wait, you learned about psychedelics early on? Yeah. How, how, do, how does, I mean, not in San, and not even in San Francisco, in Mexico. Well, my, my mom was here. Oh, so okay. I got you. Because isn't this like the psychedelic, I mean, yeah, I, I know San Francisco's like, you know, ground zero for that. But yeah, I feel like it just came on the scene like a decade ago, but maybe I'm like, I'm missing something because it, it was out there, I guess. It was out there. In the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it dwindled because it, the, the substances got scheduled. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast on the scheduling yes. of this. Maybe if we have time, we'll touch on that a little. But, okay, so medical and psychedel- school. Yes. But, well, before that, psychedelics are also deeply embedded in, in Mexican tradition. and I know. I know. Healing. So like from both parts, I got it. That part I do know. I live on the border. My wife is Mexican American. We go to Mexico like every weekend. (laughs) And yeah, I'm well aware, well aware of that, Sarah. But okay, so med school, let's talk about Mm -hmm. med school. What were your options? Where did you go? How was that process like? Yeah, med school, uh, I decided to go in, in Mexico uh, because uh, that, that was the, the best option at the time for me. And so I, I went to the uh, University of Michoacán, and that's located in Morelia. And I did uh, all my training there. I went through uh, internship and uh, something that we call social service, which means that in Mexico, you don't, the payment for um, uh, your studies is not as, as large as the payment for the studies, like in the U.S., for example. So what we, we do is that when we finish our training, we give back to the communities and we do a year of social service, uh, providing uh, medical services to give back to the community that paid for our schooling. And so. I want to go through some of your jobs and roles that you've had leading up to research. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here on your LinkedIn. So you're not just any MD, like just to have the license or the title. Um, you've treated patients. So talk to me a little bit about the patients you've treated in Mexico. Like you've had hands-on experience treating, actually treating patients. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I practiced medicine for a few years in Mexico before coming back to the U.S. Um, I had a lot of exposure with, with indigenous populations and rural populations. There was very little infrastructure to work with. Uh, so it was a lot of uh, preventive medicine and also a strategy to obtain the influx of the infrastructure that was available by the state to get the treatments for my patients. Um, I was in charge of uh, a um, little conglomerate of uh, four clinics in, in a rural area in Michoacan. And so I had, I was the director of of the main clinic that had uh, three adjacent uh, satellite clinics and we oversaw like 4,000 patients. Wow. Okay. Yeah. One of the things I like, and I don't know why we don't do it here in the U S I mean, I have, I have some ideas about why, but or some theories, but in Mexico, you know, you, you just walk to the pharmacy. You don't even need prescription for many things. And you get your medication and it's so much more efficient. I feel than here in the U S where let's say you need like your blood pressure meds, you got to go see your doctor, you know, they've got to write you a script. Then you got to go to the pharmacy. They have to fill it for you in Mexico. They just have it right there. You just walk in. Why? Like, how do they, on the one hand, that's so efficient. On the other hand, I've talked to researchers that actually do research. there, like research sites and it's so there's so much red tape to get a site up and running in Mexico. But if, as a consumer, just walking in any pharmacy, like, why do you think there's a difference there? I think it's a, a political aspects of, of Mexico. Um, I think that would be a whole other podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. The differences. Um, but yes, that, that is, that is true though. Uh, the, access to medications is also getting a bit more limited as time passes. Um, back in the day, you could just get go get antibiotics, no prescription needed. Now there's a full list of antibiotics that they will not sell you without prescription because they were being used um, inappropriately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was just curious about that. I mean, every time I talk to a doctor from Mexico, I ask them the same thing. Uh, okay, so from there, uh, when did you come back to San Francisco? Um, so that was uh, 2012, I believe. Um, when I was working in, in the rural communities, because there was very little infrastructure, I realized that through research, that was a way to get the infrastructure that they that the patients needed. So I developed um, a research study uh, about diabetes and I was able to uh, hone on the um, infrastructure to get the medications and the um, not just the treatments, but also uh, the ability to screen for uh, patients with diabetes. And they didn't have that at the time because they didn't have the numbers uh, of reporting the, the appropriate um, diagnoses. So that's where I realized that through research, it was a way for patients that otherwise wouldn't ha have access to medications could get the medications. Sarah, this is get super. Now it gets super interesting because, okay, so you, was this the first time you discovered research? Like, were you researching how to find a way to provide these solutions to, to the people of Mexico? And then you discovered research as a potential way to do it? Or did you know about research before? 
I knew about research before uh, because, again, I lived in a household of, of doctors and, and researchers, but that's when I realized that it, it wasn't just a way of expanding scientific and medical knowledge. It was also a way of gaining access for people that don't usually have access to treatments. Wow. Okay. So you saw the problem and you said, you know what, I'm going to develop a protocol. Mm-hmm. Is that literally what, like you and then you yeah. just you by yourself came up with the protocol and you I, I, had, I had help. I had help. You had help. <laughs> OK, so you, how did you get that? You had to go through the Mexican uh, FDA, forgot what they're called, but their version well, I, of the FDA, get it approved. I still I still had uh, I was working for a state clinic and I still had access to my medical school. So I combined the two. And uh, was able to uh, do it that way. Creative, creative. So what were the outcomes like for that? How many patients were able to help out or how did that go? I had 300 participants. um, And it it also helped that it wasn't interventional. It was an observational study. That also helps with the red tape. Um, I'm very interested in medical anthropology as well. So I I did a combination of how um, uh, cultural characteristics uh, may affect uh, the diagnosis of of diabetes or the evolution. So I was seeing, because I I had access to these uh, different types of of populations from different backgrounds In, in Mexico, we have more than a hundred different indigenous populations. So I, I wanted to establish a president that um, of uh, a pathology in the, in the context of a social context of a cultural context. Wow. Okay. So where did you end up publishing any of this? Like, can I read it now? <laughs> it's in the library of my of my medical school yes oh that's good that's good okay so okay so after that then you came to san francisco and uh you got a job as a um child ha- child care health consultant so this is mm-hmm. where okay this is where i think your story uh is gonna resonate with a lot of the other imgs watching mm-hmm. because you come to the united states you're an IMG, international medical grad, for those that don't know. And, and you know, you're a doctor, but in the United States, obviously you can't practice. So you look for whatever you Anything. can find or what, like how, what was that like for you? People think, you know, I don't want people to think that uh, you just walked into like a medical monitor position. No, it did not happen that way at all. <laughs> it, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's not easy. And, and I think any immigrant can tell you how, how hard it is to um, walk through uh, that border and you feel like everything that you worked for and that you've gained kind of, you, you lose it because it's not recognized anywhere. Um, and that's a hard uh, cultural shock. Um, did you feel that way despite doing like these studies in Mexico where you basically did an entire study? Um, you still felt that way when you came here? Yeah, because it, you know, it, it didn't really matter. Uh, and any door that I knocked at, like, well, that's great, but you don't have any U.S. experience. Hmm. So what was the first position um, you were able to get? 
So I, uh, yeah, I did the, the consulting. I, I realized that there was uh, a lot of, of um, families that were um, working with immigrants and nannies and things like that and tra- providing childcare services. And, and they were wondering, um, are, my, are my children safe in, in this and when I'm not there? So I, I helped them have like a safe environment. And if they had any, um, any issues or any, any questions with it, within that context, I was able to provide uh, assistance. Your next job. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Your next job is coordinator. So Mm -hmm. I understand like doing investigator initiated trials like you did in Mexico is different. Maybe you had a coordinator, but you didn't know that's what they were called or that that wasn't a position, or maybe you were doing the coordinating and the PI work. I don't know, but how did you know about a coordinator? Like what? How did you come across this opportunity and what did you think about it? I went to a a nonprofit called Upworldly Global and they, uh, they, their, their whole work is around professional immigrants. So they uh, teach you how to uh, present yourself in the context of the American workforce, how it's different from the country that you come from, how to write a resume. Global? Yes, they're wonderful. That's a good Um, resource for you guys. Are they nationwide or is that just San Francisco? Oh, that's a good question. We'll look it up. We'll look it up. You guys, if you're watching and you're like in Dallas, Texas or something, look up Upworldly Global. So you walked into Upworldly Global and and they kind of, you know, give you uh, career counseling or... Mm -hmm. How, how, to, how to interview, how to present yourself in an interview, because it's it's really different from, at least from, from the Mexican workforce. There's a lot of cultural nuances that you wouldn't realize otherwise. And, and then they ask you what you're interested in and what your background is. And I wanted to continue research. I really wanted to do research and I love neuroscience. I love, I love neurology. Um, so I was looking for uh, opportunities in in that realm and uh that that's when uh, I learned more about research and what the roles were um I connected with a lot of people that were working at sites um you did yeah they, they have mixers and and they connect you with people that have either gone through the same experience or know that that are part of the the industry already so that was very helpful a lot of informational interviews Uh, I think uh, as as a professional immigrant you really have to put yourself out there and ask uh, a lot of questions and and bug a lot of people but at the end of the day it's not really bugging because people actually like to talk about their work and what they do and um, so it's just a matter of of researching yourself and looking what are you interested in and who are who are the people that are working in in this realm and maybe one of them will be willing to give you an informational interview that's awesome yeah i never heard of upworldly global i wrote it down so i could check it out later i think that's would be a tremendous resource usually the advice i give to people not just imgs but anybody looking to work in research is linkedin like go network um go look at 
other coordinators, whatever position you want, you can search on LinkedIn, clinical research coordinator, and talk to as many, many people as are willing to talk to you. And you don't mm -hmm. even need to leave your house to do that. But then there's like ACRP, SOCRA, there's different conferences you can go to that have local chapters. But this mm -hmm. is a good one to know about too, Upworld, Upworldly Global. Even if they are just in San Francisco, I'm not sure. But, you know, for those in San Francisco, there's definitely one in the Bay Area. Maybe there's some nationwide. I'll, I'll, I'll do some homework and look it up. So a lot of networking. How long did it take you to get your first position from when you started networking? Hmm. Maybe a year, a year and a half. A year. Okay. And what was going through your head during this year? You're still working as, as the consultant. Mm -hmm. um, but what's going through your head during this time? Like, did you get doubts? Like, oh, I'm not good enough. They don't want me stuff like that. Well, of course. Yeah. That doubts come in. <laughs> it's very human. And, um, you know, this can be daunting because you're, you're going, um, you're, you're trying to get something that other people are trying to get to. You have a similar goal that these other people, they, uh, they're native to the country. They know all the cultural nuances. They they went to a school that people can pronounce that, that they know of. So it, it, right. it can be very overwhelming. So a year of doing, like, what were you doing? Applying everywhere you saw, like coordinator, a position open, research assistant. Mm -hmm. Did you apply to any CROs at that time? Because that was my experience. I applied to a bunch of CROs, didn't hear back. I heard zero. I heard back from zero when I graduated college, like I remember the zero CROs. I don't recall applying to CROs. I was more interested in the sites because I wanted yeah. to work with the PIs and learn from the PIs I got at you. that moment. That's interesting because, you know, a lot of the IMGs, they're like attracted to CRA. And we're going to get into your work with MAP, how maybe they can do that. But okay, so coordinator, you finally got this position. Within a year of networking, clinical research coordinator at San Francisco Clinical Research Center, mm -hmm. neurology, which is exactly what you wanted. Mm -hmm. Did you get other positions and you were just waiting for neurology or was that happened to be like the first one you got? No, that was the first one. Ah, I got. That's destiny. It was written in the stars. <laughs> All right. So neurology. So basically it looks like coordinating like everyone's doing, myself now included with my new site, Informed Consents. Um, how did you like that position? I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, the investigator had over 40 years experience in, in the neurology research world. Um, he did the Imitrex trials back in the day. So he had a lot of experience uh, and uh, also was interested in, in uh, not being as uh, hands-on and just letting me learn everything that I wanted and needed to learn. And from like doctor to doctor, he was very helpful in that way. So I, I was lucky to meet him and have him as a boss at that time. And I see on your, on the job uh, responsibilities. So Administration of various psychometric assessments, ADAS, COG, CDR, MMSC, mm -hmm. NeuroCOG, CSSRS. I tell IMGs all the time, you guys don't know how good you have it. Any psychiatric site, any CNS site, any neurology site would love you, not just because you're a coordinator, but you have that advanced degree where you can qualify to be a rater. I have a master's degree. I can do some of the skills, 
I've done some of those same skills you've done, but I can't do all of them. But mm-hmm. IMGs, oftentimes they're able to do way more than most coordinators. And were you also a sub investigator at one point? Like, were you officially like on that uh, box six of the 1572? I was. See, I was. look, guys, I IMG, look at how to level up your career at the site level. Right. You could be sub I like in your first year. You could be sub I on day one, sub investigator of a study. The, the site level is so often overlooked because people look to the CROs and the sponsors. But mm-hmm. man, I think the sites is I think the sites were is the way to go. And just like you're just like you're demonstrating, Sarah. I mean, it worked out for you. So okay, so how for, from site, then you went to another company. Mm-hmm. More of a tech, I think this is more of a tech-oriented type of company, right? Am I, am I mistaken here? Yes, yeah, so it's it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid. It's a tech company, but it, that the tech that they're developing is to do decentralized trials. So instead of the patient going to the site, um, the the research comes to the patient's home. So we were a decentralized site. So I was a coordinator doing study activities from behind a computer like right now. Did you visit patients in their homes or no? No, I didn't. I, I was I was doing all the assessments from a computer on, on our platform and um, designing the processes so that we could ensure that there was data quality uh, as rigorous or more. Um, so we had to demonstrate that it, it worked, like the difference between brick and mortar sites and decentralized sites which we did that's awesome yeah dct i mean that was early and that was from 2018 until 2020 so that was like on the early end of of decentralized trials which really kind of gained popularity at post-covid and we'll see Mm -hmm. we'll see i think there will be elements of hybrid trials um okay so how did you get so so far you know we, we keep filtering, like you're resonating with people, but like each level you get to, maybe you lose a few people or they're like, Oh, well, I still need to become a coordinator and then Raider. So now you're going to lose a whole bunch of people when you say how you want to be a medical monitor, but it's, it's inspirational because it shows them they can do it too. So how did that come about medical monitor? Yeah. So I, I think it, it's, it's, the way I see it, it's a composition of the experiences I had at, at both sites. One site was very experienced and I, I gained all, all the knowledge um, from the sponsors that were coming in because we had like 10 studies at that first uh, SFCRC site. And I was spearheading those and interacting with all the sponsors, spending sometimes 10 hours with them reviewing the data because we were the highest enrollers. And really picking their brains, like the opportunity to work with a sponsor from the site is, I think, so instrumental for development as well. And, uh, and at, the, at the decentralized uh, place, um, realizing uh, that I have a knack for process Im- implementation, for uh, knowing where the gaps are, and then also utilizing uh, the medical degree we had to, I was helping the investigators with medical record review and inclusion exclusion criteria review. Like I did a first pass for them. I, I had a whole group of medical uh, record reviewers um, which we integrated uh, for screening. So 
just thinking about how to leverage the experience that you have and how to implement it and the things that you're trying to do with the company where you're at. So you were networking, like you were working side by side with not just people at your site level, but at the CRO and the sponsor level. Many of these people, medical monitors, uh, many of these people, well, all of them, right? Physicians. Um, and very experienced uh, CRAs. And very, and very experienced CRAs. Okay. So when did the, when did the, your, when did the possibility of you becoming a medical monitor, when did you first realize that that's could be a reality? Well, it was uh, really a, a guidance that I received from, from maps because uh, I applied for a CRA job. The, the medical monitor job was not uh, up and running yet. Um, so what I found, uh, was the CRA job and I wanted to work for maps and something that I always wanted to do. And I felt like I was ready to make that jump. Uh, so when I applied, um, uh, I received, uh, back a, um, a response, uh, because I reached out to Barra, our, our, who was there also, um, with the uh, Latinos. Yep, and so uh, I reached out to her and, and told her that I, through LinkedIn, as you mentioned, reaching out to people through LinkedIn is very helpful. And uh, I told her a little bit of my background and that I, I applied for this job and that I was very interested. And then she took, took a look and she replied, you're a doctor. Do you, why don't you apply for this medical monitor job instead? Ah. So it, wow. was, it was really her that that uh, opened that opportunity um, because I, I've been on this path, but I always thought like many uh, IMGs that a company won't recognize the, the medical degree because yeah. maybe you haven't been licensed or because uh, other reasons. Um, but for the medical monitor position, you don't need to have uh, a license, uh, an MD license in the States. Yeah. And it makes sense too, because a lot of these studies are international, right? So you'll have, I mean, let's say you're a U.S. licensed uh, MD, you're a medical monitor for German sites too. And for Mexican sites, I mean, your license is no good there either. Uh, so <laughs> vice versa, it never made sense to me why that was i just thought it was always um an unofficial you know rule but obviously that can be shattered uh as sarah has shown us here no the the, the experience the training and experience is necessary uh but also nurse, nurse practitioners can be medical really? monitors. i didn't know that and uh farm bees can be medical monitors as well Jaime Valles, you listening, man? You get there. You go, <laughs> nurse practitioner. Uh, wow, I didn't know that. So mm -hmm. it's basically an experience position, just like anything else, just like CRA, just like coordinator. Correct. Well, you uh, have to have the training. You do have to have an MD somewhere. <laughs> okay, or an NP, or, right? or an MP, or a DO, or uh, farm D. Farm D. Wow. All right. So Sarah's LinkedIn profile is going to be underneath. Um, speaking of maps, all right. For those that are interested, I mean, they're a really cool company. They focus on psychedelic research. If you're interested in that, I'm just starting to get like a little bit interested in, in psychedelics um, from a research perspective. But this is pretty much what you guys do, right? This is your core competency. Correct. 
so they can go reach out to Sarah and you guys hiring? Yes, we have many open positions right now, including medical monitor. Including medical monitor. So now we're going to get IMGs messaging you saying, see, Sarah, you said in this video, I could be a medical monitor. What are you looking for in a candidate? Like, uh, not just for medical monitors, but for all the open positions you have, like, what are you guys looking for? Previous clinical research experience is key at this, at the juncture that we're at right now with our projects. Um, and uh, an, a willingness to work in a team and also be able to be independent. It's uh, because we're a type of, it's the environment is similar to a startup. So being very proactive is uh, always so welcome and necessary. Do you, uh, is it virtual? Like you work from, so you can hire, you don't have to be in the Bay Area. Company. Fully remote. That's yeah, awesome. I think we have people in almost all states. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. I know Guru Nation, it's, this is, at this point, it's not just for you IMGs. It's for everybody. If you've got some experience, all right, on your resume and you want an interesting type of company to work for, Maps. The Maps is uh, seems like from what I've heard on that hour hour long webinar, uh, a place that was I would like to work there if I didn't have the stuff I was doing. That that'd be a type of place I would apply at. Something like kind of on the fringe, but becoming more mainstream. Right? Is that fair to say? Yes. All right. Don't want to offend anyone out there. So it's like on the fringe, but it's becoming more and more acceptable um, every year that we do. And there's a lot of like anything you guys are working on that's particularly interesting right now. We are uh, working with uh, MDMA assisted uh, therapy. That is our pivotal program. And uh, that is uh, for the treatment of uh, patients with uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And we're in uh, our second uh, phase three trial. And hopefully that, that will uh, conclude in um, like submitting for approval for FDA um, in uh, maybe 2023. 20, wow, okay. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have to do more and follow you guys and, and probably do part two. Um, for, so there you guys have it, MAPS. Look, for anybody with research experience right now, if, if you're not happy in your current role, Sarah, do you know how many people reach out to me like on a weekly basis and say, I have X number of years of experience, but I'm not happy in my current company. They're afraid to leave. It's never been a better time, guys, to switch up your opportunity. So here's your call to action. Look at Sarah. She's very nice and friendly. Are you going to be, are you going to be like, uh, they're like most of these people's direct report or you guys have different departments or how does that work? So for the medical monitor position, it, it's the medical science and safety department. And, uh, they wouldn't be my direct report. Uh, but we have a team right now of, I believe six people um we're and we're looking for uh, another medical monitor in the u.s and we also have a position called safety associate which is 
basically a CRA for the medical science and safety team. Specifically for those purposes. You're going to get hit up so much there. You're going to maybe even regret putting, allowing me to put your LinkedIn on there. Nah, I'm just kidding. Sarah's nice and she's very accessible too. So reach out anytime. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your story. We're going to have to do, have you on again, maybe talk more about psychedelics or things like that. Um, any last things you want to tell Guru Nation, maybe like last motivational words of wisdom, anything you want that we didn't mention? Well, you, you were asking how, how I jumped to, to the medical monitor. So I, even though it was a, a bit of a, you know, an unexpected surprise for me at the time, um, yeah, I was fortunate that somebody like Barra was there to have the experience and analyze the information that was coming in and it had that foresight for me. And then when I interviewed, uh, I realized that all of the uh, experience that I've gained and all the things that I applied, again, looking for ways to apply the my medical knowledge and infiltrate it in, into a uh, role that was not necessarily for, you don't have to be a, a, an MD to be a CRA or a coordinator, but looking for ways to leverage that allowed me to have the skills and the training to be able to be a medical monitor. I was already doing those those skills and, and those roles before coming here. I just didn't realize it at the time. I, I love that. So it's like, it's advanced calculus guys, not, not algebra, right? It's about, it's the magic's in the integration, like integrate all your different skill sets, just like Sarah did when she was in Mexico, creating a protocol. Like she combined her experience from Mexico with her experience from the United States, put together a protocol, helped 300 people, right? And in Mexico, on a st- out of the box thinking, this is what you guys got to do. So everybody go connect with Sarah right now. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, and we got to do more. I know people are going to love this. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for watching, listening, like, subscribe, comment, share. Take care. Bye-bye.